Let us agree with you, Lord. Many of us in our exuberance to have a prayer answered grab a friend to pray with us over the matter. We enthusiastically quote the verse in Matthew that states, if two of you agree here on earth concerning anything you ask, my Father in heaven will do it for you. <laughs> Believing that this gives us the divine ticket to receive our requests. Yet, any of us who have tried this and come away disappointed when the prayer isn't answered realize that we're missing something. Today, I want to talk about what that is, and it begins with the verse in Isaiah 1, which states, Come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Now, you might argue this verse is talking about God's generous forgiveness of our sins, and that's absolutely true. But it's also talking about reasoning together, working side by side, agreeing with one another on what God says is true. And that's what we need to consider when we're attempting to apply the verse in Matthew 18 that suggests that the Father will do what we want when we agree with someone for it. It isn't simply agreeing with another person in prayer. It's ultimately agreeing with our Heavenly Father in His plans. That's the most important. The question we need to always consider is who do we agree with and for what? In Luke 11, Jesus accused the experts in religious law of agreeing with their ancestors in killing the prophets and then building monuments in their honor. In Matthew 26, we find Judas Iscariot agreeing with the leading priest to betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. In the same way, in Acts 5, the couple, Ananias and Sapphira, agree together to deceive Peter into believing they sold their property for a smaller amount. Similarly, in Acts 8, we find Saul completely in agreement with the Jewish leaders who stoned Stephen to death. And finally, in Revelation 17, we find those who agree to give all their authority to the scarlet beast who is covered with blasphemous names. Those are not agreements that the children of God should enter into. As his children, we are intended to stand in agreement with the Lord God Almighty, just as Jesus did. In John 8, Jesus declares that he is the light of the world, a statement that offends the Pharisees who argue that Jesus' testimony about himself is invalid. Yet to them, Jesus cites their own law, which states that if two people agree about something, their witness is accepted as fact. As Moses had recorded the Lord declaring in Deuteronomy 19, you must not convict anyone of a crime on the testimony of only one witness. The facts of the case must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. Jesus then advises that there are two witnesses that agree that he is the light of the world. I am one witness, he says, and my Father who sent me is the other. 
The beloved Apostle John contends this more emphatically when he writes, Jesus Christ was revealed as God's son by his baptism in water and by shedding his blood on the cross, not by water only, but by water and blood. And the spirit who is truth confirms it with his testimony. So we have three witnesses, the spirit, the water, and the blood, and all three agree. John then reminds them if human testimony is established with two witnesses, then surely we can believe the greater testimony that comes from God. And God has testified about his son. All who believe in the son of God know in their hearts that this testimony is true. If we agree with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, then we should also agree to what they will for us. What is it then that you agree to? When Jesus is discussing John the Baptist with the crowd, all the people, even the tax collectors, agreed that God's way was right, for they had been baptized by John. They had received a baptism of repentance from their sins and believed his message that he was preparing the way for the Messiah. However, the Pharisees and experts in religious law rejected God's plan for them, for they had refused John's baptism. They refused to participate in the baptism of repentance from their sins and refused to believe that Jesus Christ was the Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. Do you agree then that you are a sinner who needs to be saved by grace? As we read in Romans 3, for everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God with undeserved kindness declares that we are righteous. He did this through Jesus Christ when he freed us from the penalty for our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. This truth brings us back then to the Isaiah 1 chapter, which invites us to reason together that our, although our sins are as abundant as anything, they shall be no more. What else can we agree with God about? We can agree with him that he loves us with an everlasting love, as it says in Jeremiah 31. We can agree that he has redeemed us and called us by name and we belong to him, as it says in Isaiah 43. We can also agree that no matter how deep the water or how fiery the oppression, that he will be with us and protect us. We can agree that he has created us as his masterpiece, as we read in Ephesians 2, and for his glory, as it says again in Isaiah 43. We have been chosen to know him, to believe in him, and to understand he alone is God, we are told in Isaiah 43 again. We can agree that no one can snatch us from his hand. Those are precious promises that we can agree with, aren't they? But there's more. We're to agree with God about other things as well in order to live holy lives on this earth. Job 22 indicates that if we agree with God, we will be at peace and good will come to us. 
One of those things is not to make earthly treasure our God, because the Almighty will be our gold and our precious silver. Leviticus 25 instructs us to be honest in our dealings with one another, a spiritual truth we read again and again in the book of Proverbs. So we are to agree to being honest. Further, if we make a vow to the Lord, we are to keep it faithfully, consistently, and promptly, we are told repeatedly in Scripture. We to agree to do what we have said we will do. When Jesus speaks of vows in Matthew 5, he is not saying don't make any commitments. Rather, he is saying be careful what commitments you make. Don't speak rashly or hastily, but say a simple yes, I will, or no, I won't. And then do as you've said. That's why Jesus warns in Luke 9 about the person he calls to come and follow me. And the person agrees, but then asks for an extension. Lord, first let me return home and bury my father. This delay is understood to mean not that the man's parents are about to die, but rather that he'll wait until they are dead before he'll serve the Lord. Perhaps the man didn't want to profess Christ openly and thereby oppose his Jewish parents. Perhaps his profession of faith would mean that he would lose his inheritance and thus he would only follow Christ when his parents were gone. Our expression of faith is never meant to be convenient or expedient. Thus, if we have promised to follow Christ, we are to do so now and not wait until there is the least opposition, for that time will never come. Once we are followers of Christ, he asks that we strive to live in harmony with other believers. When the Apostle Paul beseeches the Philippians, is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ, any comfort from his love, any fellowship together in the Spirit, any tenderness or compassion, he asks? He is asking then that we are to agree wholeheartedly with one another, loving one another, working together with one mind and purpose. Given the number of denominations, church splits, and wars waged in the name of religious faith, one wonders how such spiritual agreement and unity is possible. But from Psalm 133, which declares how wonderful and pleasant it is when brothers live together in harmony, to Ephesians 4, which explains that we are to make every effort to keep ourselves united in the spirit, binding ourselves together with peace, we are instructed to live in one accord. This was Jesus' prayer for us in John 17, that as the Father and Son and Holy Spirit are in perfect agreement, even so Jesus asks that we may experience such perfect unity that the world will know that the Father sent the Son and that God's love for us is as great as his love is for his own Son. That's a tall order, I'll agree, as it's recognized that rarely do we even agree with everyone who attends our own church, let alone those who attend another church. But if we stand in agreement with the Heavenly Father, then we realize that such unity in the Spirit is not only possible, but eternally satisfying. 
Therefore, let us agree with God in those things that are important to him and not attempt to use Jesus' instructions in Matthew 18 as a recipe to achieve our own desires. By God's great mercy, it'll never work. Thankfully, though, we can be confident that our Heavenly Father hears us whenever we ask for anything that pleases him. And it is his good pleasure to answer that prayer we read in 1 John 5. Therefore, let us pray those pleasing prayers that we may see his good will and purpose always extended into this needy world. Amen and amen.